Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, November 10th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. Calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or tweet me any questions you like to at StuTheWineGuru on Twitter and I'll read them live on the show. I want to say thanks to those out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and shows I'm currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing wine articles and reviews for Yahoo, The Examiner, and I just recently, locally, am writing for a publication called The Parklander. So anyone locally in the South Florida area that knows the Parkland area can look for the January issue of which I will have a wine article in as well. also made Wine 101 video series that can be viewed on YouTube, my website, or just about anywhere on the Internet. Just check those out. Hey, this is Sly Stallone. You're listening to Stu the Wine Guru on blogtalkradio.com. When I'm out making action pictures, I'm listening too. Right now, I'm sipping on a nice Tusker Red. No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo, only celebrity impersonators. My guest tonight is from California wine country. For 20 years, he's worked in every corner of the world. His expertise in making still and sparkling wines precedes him. The name of the family-owned vineyard he is in charge of, Frank Family Vineyards. His name is Todd Graff, and he will be with us shortly. Of course, the number to call in is one 646 381-4860 or if you're shy and you prefer the computer email me your questions for both Todd and I to info at stewthewineguru.com 
or tweet your questions to at StuTheWineGuru on Twitter, and I'll read them live here on the show. As always, I've opened up a chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of Todd or myself, and I'll check into the live chat room periodically during the show and get answers for you. Hey, hi, this is uh, John Ratzenberger. When I'm not doing voiceovers for movies or doing commercials, I'm listening to Stu the Wine Guru. I suggest you do the same. No actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Only celebrity impersonators. Yeah, hi, this is Tony Danza. You listen to Stu the Wine Guru. He's not bad. I listen to him every once in a while. You know, drink a Tuscan Red, try to take down the edge. Pretty good. I like him. Not bad. First off, I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter. I love social media. I can talk directly to my listeners and my guests alike. I like giving updates in real time, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show. So, thanks to Twitter and social Some show notes. My next TV appearance will be airing in January. I will be a guest on the Emmy Award-winning PBS show, Check Please South Florida, with Michelle Bernstein. You know her. She's been on my show before. Well, now I'm going to return the favor and be on hers as well. I'll be kicking off the fifth season, so look for that. I've also been asked to be on the hot CNBC World Show Wine Portfolio with host Jody Ness. They're, they're taking on the Miami wine and food scene, and I'll be showing them where to go and discussing my radio show and the wine industry. It's going to be pretty incredible, but I'm, I'm real psyched for it. The taping starts in 10 days, and the show will air in January. That's CNBC World, so you'll be able to watch that anywhere in the world, people. There will be many more TV appearances. I will let you know as they happen. Also, I'll be narrating a promotional digital video for multiple Napa Valley wineries. So uh, I'll let you know where that's going to appear and where you can see it and hear it. It'll be pretty cool stuff. For all of you wanting to know what events I'll be attending so you can meet up with me like my tweeples do on Twitter, in January I'll be media sponsor at the second annual Key West Food and Wine Festival, January 27th through the 30th. Come meet me there. February 23rd through 27th, 2011, I'll be covering the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. That's the 10th year, a decade they've been doing this. I'll be interviewing winemakers, exhibitors, keynote speakers, and even attendees. So come down, meet me, and say hi. Get in some sun, some fun, some good food, some good wine. There'll be a lot of good stuff going on there. So that's just the schedule bar. So since I'm a media sponsor for the Key West Food and Wine Festival, I've worked out a deal for my listeners so you can purchase tickets at a 20% discount. All you have to do is use the discount code STWG during the checkout process. And keep listening in and following me on Twitter for more information. My Twitter handle is StuTheWineGuru. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Either. Okay, I know I haven't been in a movie in a while. I got it. It's okay, I've embraced it. But when I'm not being either, I'm listening to Stu, the wine guru. Scott, you'll get your turn, okay? <laughs> no actual celebrities were used in the making of this promo. Just celebrity impersonators. Remember, if you have questions... I have answers. So call me at 1-646-381-4860 or email me at info at You can get into the chat room and voice your opinion, of course. 
You can get on Twitter and tweet your questions to at StuTheWineGuru. I'll ask your questions of Todd and get some answers for you. So let me make sure that everyone listening knows the Frank Family Vineyard website and can go there for more information about this phenomenal wine company. To learn more about Todd Graff and Frank Family Wines, go to www.frankfamilyvineyards.com. And you can find out about him, the different wines they produce, uh, their imprint on the wine industry. And hey, you know what? You can even buy some wine there. So you can sip some wine while you're buying some wine. So without any further wait, let's bring on my guest for the evening, Todd Graff. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, Stu. How you doing? I am doing fantastic. Even better now that I got you on the on the air here. Um, let me start off with my questions for you. I've got some tweeted questions. I've got some email questions for you. So let's just uh, let's get the show flowing here for you. Sounds good. So for those of my listeners who aren't familiar with Frank Family Wines, and I'm sure that's a very small percentage, please give them like a little history about Frank Family. Sure, very easy. Uh, Frank Family is located uh, in the northern end of the Napa Valley, in between the two towns of uh, St. Helena and Calistoga. Uh, the old stone building was started in the 1880s, so they've been making wine on this property since then. And in the early 90s, Rich Frank purchased the property and uh, from Hans Cornell, as many of your listeners may know of uh, Hans, who uh, really one of the early pioneers of California industry, especially the sparkling wine Most um, definitely. Uh, game. And so uh, we kind of took off from his heritage. We still make some sparkling wines here, only for sale at the winery uh, mainly. But uh, since then, we've purchased vineyards in Carneros, which is the southern end of the Napa Valley for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. We have a great Rutherford vineyard, uh, Winston Hill, and then we have a, a vineyard SJ uh, a little east of the town of Napa climbing up out of the mountains. So, um, right. And we've been making wines off of those properties uh, for the last uh, 15 years. Great. So that kind of gives them a little feel for an overview as to exactly what you guys are all about. Um, so you've worked in many different countries, France, Germany, Australia. You're making different wines, different styles of wine. So what are the similarities and what are the clear differences that you've experienced? You know, I think I think the similarities, I think we're all on the same page. You know, everybody wants to make a good product. Everybody's in it. Uh, to have a happy life and uh, and make good wine. I've never worked at a place where the goal wasn't just to make something delicious. Um, and then the differences, depending on the climates, but it's it's there's more than one way to skin a cat, I guess. And so we can all get to the end point of making delicious wines. Um, we could start with uh, you know fruit from Portugal, fruit from Australia, fruit from France, and uh, they don't have to all taste the same. But they, at the end of the day, we all go to bed happy that they're tasting delicious. <laughs> yes, and they are. I have to say, from personal experience, they most definitely are. And um, I, I don't want to say, you know, at, more towards the top of the show here, that anyone that uh, is going to the Napa Valley wine country, you have to, absolutely have to get the Frank Family Vineyards. It is really impressive looking as well as, of course, the wines are, you know, are excellent. And, uh, you know, and you can get that online as well as uh, there are certain places you can go and, and get that locally. You'll find that out as well when you check out the website. But I definitely wanted to say just visually uh, the area that you're located in. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great site. And I think a lot of people who have been to Napa kind of can relate to that because each, what I find, at least for me, is each vineyard and winery has kind of its own little 
uh, charm. I guess that's the best word for it. Uh, that word. unto itself. Yeah, unto itself, and and it's kind of nice that you guys kind of have that same uh, aspect to your the the way the the new winery is set up. Of course, yeah, no, and, you know, maybe you want to. I was gonna say maybe you want to explain a little bit why there's a new winery. Sure, we're we're very fortunate. We've had the same staff uh, pouring our wines for our guests. Um, Dennis Oblosky's been here for over 20 years. He came with Hans, and um, we were for the longest time, to be be polite, a, uh, a shed of a of a, most people think it's a double wide trailer, and um, a good <laughs> wind would have blown it over. And we were, it was everybody's favorite dive bar attitude, and uh, it was under a tree, and uh, once we pulled away the brush, we saw holes in the building. Uh, three years ago, we finally just said, okay, let's change, and we converted a great old craftsman farmhouse into the tasting room and uh, bulldozed over the uh, the old shed and yeah. uh, remodeled the whole winery, And but in, in character with the old stone building from the 1880s, uh, we all we did was just kind of re just clean up barns and uh, old cellars and uh, and exposed the property more and and uh, made it healthier. So uh, and then put in a new red wine facility, so a state of the art winery, and uh, we've been off and running ever since. And and again, the yeah. guys there have all been there forever, and so chances are, if you've been here, they'll recognize you if you come back. Oh yeah, yeah, most definitely. That that that's the beauty of, and that's one thing I have to say that that's really nice is that um, you find that uh, in Napa Valley. I'm not quite sure if that's something that's just indigenous to Napa Valley, or something that I found. I mean, I haven't really found that as much around the world, and I have been to other uh, vineyards, and uh, you know, not everybody was like, "Cheers, hey Norm," you know, it wasn't like that. You know, where there's kind of like that there in Napa Valley. It's a nice community. You know, it's hard to leave here. So once you get here, I think we got you hooked. So you um, we get people and we lock them in, and uh, they don't want to leave either. That's it. That's it. You climb with wine, and that's it. Um, all right, so I've got some tweeted questions here. I'm going to ask you from um, let's see, Campania Wines from uh, looks like Italy here. Um, it says, "Hi Stu, can I ask Todd what does he what does he admire the most in the French winemaking techniques?" That's the first question she has. She has two, by the way. Okay, so the, admire them. I mean, I guess not to sell it lightly. I mean, their history is is where I'd start. Just they are. They are the gold ring that we've been trying to catch up to. So um, as, as far as anything, um, and and just go in that country. Uh, where can you go? You have a good glass of wine and a good meal. The two and two go together. You can't. Sure. You know you can't have a bad meal in France. I don't think. Um, so those two things are great. And then that history that they kind of set for all of us to follow is is the main thing I admire. Right, the old world, right. And, and then the follow-up question that she has for you is, um, how has, let's see, it says, and how, Todd, have you applied the French winemaking procedures to the Napa terroir? That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, no, that is a very good question. You know, it's so so different in the fact of how we farm here. Um, you know, in Europe, especially Bordeaux, I'd say, and, and Burgundy, you know, they're searching for every ounce of sunlight they can get to help ripen the fruit. Oh, yes. In California, we've kind of got a little bit of the opposite. We farm to kind of shade the fruit a little to protect it from the sun. We're, um, we're growing our vines a little higher because we don't need the radiant heat from the soil where they do. So it, it's the understanding of why 
is the best part of working internationally. It's you can go to France, and I think many people in California probably did this in the 70s and 80s. Went to France, saw it being done, replicated over here without realizing why they did it, and then hmm. why it might not have worked over here. The under the, the best reason is to know the whys, and then and then twist them over here. Um, to do that, to to produce, you know what they've done too. Their Appalachian series, uh, you know, you you have wines from one area. You know, I think we've we've tried to do that too, where we make a couple wines just from our vineyard in Rutherford to promote that region and to show that style of wine. Sure. So so um, this is a beauty I, I, that I, I love. I just mentioned it at the top of the show about how much I love Twitter and social media because you get people really fantastic questions from people from around the world. And here's one that I think is great. And you'll appreciate this very much, Todd. This is from Quit Whining from Las Vegas, Nevada. And I know that she happens to be a she, so I'm just going to say she tweets, just had Frank family Chardonnay with a grilled cheese on Sunday. Since I paired their Chardonnay with grilled cheese, what other offbeat foods would be would be would he pair their wines with? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you know, no. Just come over to my house. I mean, whatever, whatever, whatever we're having for dinner, you know, what the kids are wanting, and uh, you know, and a half bottle of that's open on the counter. So, uh, oh, that's great. you know, I'm probably, uh, you know, we all know there's certain foods and certain wines that just aren't match made in heaven. But on a Wednesday night, that half bottle is just calling your name. It could, it could be some grilled sausages, or it could be. Um, like you said, grilled cheese is actually fantastic. Um, so yeah. it, it, to me, it, it's all about just comparing the two and having them, you know, and then fine, the fine-tuning comes later. But it's just at our house, I and mean, we're just opening whatever's on the counter. That's fantastic. I love that. You know, and that, that's, a, that's a great thing about wine, too. It's like you said, uh, it, you know, some, some, I, I find some winemakers, nobody in particular, just in general, some of them tend to be a little bit more um, – you know, particular about what they pair it with. You know, they want to be, and then you know, then you have others like yourself and and people like myself who are a, a little bit more freewheeling. It's like, you know, what, like you said, you know, all right, I've got my, I've got my second day old chili con carne here, and I've got some, well, Zinfandel. Yeah, that works. Okay, yeah, no, and it's, do it. it's great being in, in, I guess, in my position because I usually have a couple bottles open, so I, I could have three or four glasses in front of me and sip them both or all three of them sure. at certain times and seeing which one's going best and then choose that one as the night goes on. So it's fun. I've got, I've got something here for you from the uh, from the chat room, actually. This is from Kim, and it says, uh, Stu, does Todd think that the New World, particularly California wine regions, will ever be equal to French standards, quality, and taste? Okay. Um, Legitimate question. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. I may be a little biased. I think we are. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's good to be um, patriotic and, and uh, parochial for your region and support it and defend it. Um, uh, but because I've traveled around the world and made wines in different countries, everybody's making really good wines, and I think we're yes. doing it as well as anybody. And yep. I, th- I think we're as proud as anybody should be for how far we've come in a short period of time. Um, and and I think you know from what I've seen in the sparkling slash champagne region and the cabernet slash bordeaux regions, you know I I, I hear terms of California 
eyes. You know, I think some people are enjoying that style and uh, and trying to get richer, riper fruits in other parts of the world. Absolutely, and I just want to say, and Kim and 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 I, I should have said this caveat. Kim also said that I adore California wines. I'm biased, and she's laughing. She said I love California wines. So you know. I think she was. It was more so just asking a question, but not definitely not having any slant or bias against in any way, shape, or form. I know Kim is definitely not that is that not that person. So, um, and, I, and I have to say, I also I I've said this before. I think there's a handful. Hello? Really hitting this spot, if you will, that are really definitely um, doing it. And and kind of coming close to where the terroir, you can find it in the taste. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think where the, the the terroir and the taste definitely are are match. Um, and that's something that uh, you know I think the French have had down for so many thousands of years. That you know, look, we're we're relatively new. The California wine industry, oh, well, U.S. basically is relatively new in comparison. We're like a baby in comparison to. Uh, well, we're learning you know, the rest of every day. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, I think we're, I think the learning curve is very very small for us in that we 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 ca- we've caught up very quickly in a relatively small amount of time. So, um, and in some cases, I think are making far superlative wines than some of our European counterparts. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. Having a chance to have tried wines from around the world. Um, let's see. So the next question I have for you, and this is my personal question, is this. Um, I've had on winemakers, you know, on my show, many winemakers who have graduated from the UC Davis program. So knowing that you have, what is your take on why it produces such great winemakers? Because it really does. I I think it's a – I think because it's the, you know, the the main one, for for example. So you you start there. There's other schools coming out, but, you know, everybody uh, needed to get a start. And like anybody's career, you get a you get a degree in 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 business. You get that first job. You really don't know what you're going to get into. You're probably working the mail room or the stock and shelves with your business degree and then you work your way up and next thing you get an office and you're making decisions. Uh with with uh winemaking, it's very similar. You know, we we get a good background of the the basics. But we really don't get a chance to learn any style until you start doing it yourself and you start pulling hoses in the cellar, filling barrels, rolling barrels, uh, crushing grapes all day, tasting a lot of wines, uh, traveling around the world. And then all of a sudden you decide, you, you start getting a style. And so what Davis does is, is gives you that background and then, so you got that down and then you go out and explore style after that. And I think that, that helps. And what's great, it, it's a small community. Um, you know, most of these people that I went to school with, you know, our kids are probably going to school now and we're seeing each other in the grocery store. So it's a, it's a good networking that helps out a lot. And, sure. and we're a friendly community. Um, if I ever have a need of borrowing some equipment or I have a question that I've gotten in a situation I've never seen before, um, you know, the answer is just a phone call away usually and now with email or something or, or you'll bump right. into somebody at the store or the restaurant and just say, hey, and the answers are there. So everybody's helpful here. Excellent. Uh, that's true, and I and I've I've said this time in and time memorial that uh, I my experiences with Napa Valley is it is such a it's almost like a like a, one big commune if you will from like the 70s, in that everybody is you know they're each 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 other's cheerleader and you know it's like hey if you do something great you know we're we're all happy about it and that's fantastic and you know um, so I see some email questions for you Todd and they're coming in fast and furious let me take some and get some answers from my listeners. 
So the first one is from Flacco42 from Guatemala. And it says, Stu, your show is great. I learn a lot. My question for Todd is, which region of the world do you sell more of your wine in? And then it says, I'll keep listening every week. Thanks. So I want to thank Flacco42 from Guatemala for uh, for putting that question in. So, Todd? Great. Well, we're we're very fortunate winery uh, for our size. We'd be kind of categorized mid mid-sized Napa winery. And we're very fortunate. 33% of our wine never leaves the property. It's sold right here on on uh, site. So that's great. And then another 33% uh, doesn't go out of the state. So we're a very localized winery. So 66% is sold in the state of California. And then we're in about 20 other, 25 other states throughout uh, the United States. And then a few... Um, a few, you know, a little bit into Canada, a little bit Mexico, a little bit into Asia, um, but not a, not a lot. A little Caribbean, but uh, right. again, sixty six, so sixty to seventy percent is sold within our state. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, and then that's a, you know, that pretty much is a very telltale uh, story right there. Um, so, so the next one is from Yuri Red from Prague, Czech Republic, wow. and it says, Stu, I love this show. I've put all of your shows to date on my iPod. Well, thank you. My question for Todd is, which is your best-selling wine? And then it says, thanks, and I hope you ask my question on the show. <laughs> well, Yuri Red from Prague, Czech Republic. There you go. I asked it for you. Well, our most-selling wine is um, is our Napa Valley Chardonnay. We uh, we have 80 acres in Carneros, where the majority of that comes from, which is the cooler region of the Napa Valley. Um, and it, it's kind of become life of its own. Uh, we started out probably being a Cabernet house, and then all of a sudden the Chardonnay started taking off, and next thing we knew the tail was wagging the dog, and uh, that's become our largest seller. of um, It's great, balanced, um, kind of a classic uh, Napa Valley Chard, uh, barrel-fermented, all-French oak, and yes. uh, seems really well-balanced and concentrated, and uh, it seems to fly off the shelves. I have to tell you, um, uh, having a chance to have had it, it is outstanding. Um, and and <laughs> going back to that other question about you know grilled cheese and all that, it does go with a lot of stuff. I mean, it really does. In fact, I'll tell you something. I was I had it one time, and I, I've used this analogy as the um, you know telling you what would be the quintessential Chardonnay, what would be the best Chardonnay, or how you know that you have a fantastic Chardonnay. And that is this: I had it with lobster. Okay, uh, in the, yeah, in 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 the butter sauce, and and I and the the key to a great Chardonnay is that when you eat it, you eat the the lobster, and then you uh, take a sip of the Chardonnay, it cleanses your palate, uh, and so that each bite that you take tastes like the first one. To me, that's like the the quintessential Chardonnay. It's capable of doing that, where it's just where you get the full taste of the Chard. And then you get the full taste of the food. Um, that to me is is you know you're in heaven. That's a great Chardonnay, and I have to tell you, your Chard is capable of doing that. So there's not a lot to do that. Yeah, no, we did that this weekend. We had a lobster boil out here on Saturday. We just finished harvesting on Friday, so we had a little lobster boil, and we drank plenty of that Chardonnay with lobster. So it was great. I, it's, it's fantastic. So I just wanted to get you know get that out there. Um, let's see. The next one is from Lars the Wine Man from Oslo, Norway, and it says, "Stu, you've really got something with this show. I just started listening last week, and I now I'm hooked. Great guest, by the way, Todd. Um, let's see. It says, 
who are your influences and mentors coming up in the wine business? That's a great question. Thanks, Stu, for another great show. Cheers. So I want to thank Lars, the wine man from Oslo, Norway, for a really good question. Oh, that that is a great question. You know, my first job out of um, college was at Joseph Phelps Vineyard, so another uh, perennial all-time favorite Napa, um, really a, a leader. And uh, that whole winemaking staff really took every young intern and fresh out of college kid and and showed them the way to do it right. So that was uh, that they were a big influence in in my career and directing me that way. And that's basically also where I met most of my foreign contacts and then the next thing I know I'm on a plane and not looking back. So I think <laughs> that whole staff was a was a huge uh, factor in my my career. And by the way, a stellar wine company too by the way. Oh, uh, yeah, no. I, I I still look up to them and uh and still love tasting their wines and and love competing sure. against them. Oh yeah. So um oh I want to thank uh Lars the wine man from Oslo Norway again. That's uh that's a great question. Next one is from Marcio886 from Asuncion, Paraguay, and it says, Stu, many thanks to you for a great show. I love wine, and this is, this is teaching me many things. My question for your guest, Todd, what are the vinicultural challenges you face? Okay, and it says thank you. So Marcio886 from Asuncion, Paraguay, thanks for your question, Todd. Yeah, well, the great thing about what we do, as soon as we solve one of those, we got another one right around the bend. It looks like, you know, in the in the uh, early 90s, late 80s, we uh, had the revisitor of phylloxera, and we replanted the vineyard with uh, resistant rootstocks. Um, today, what do we have? We have some mealybug uh, pests. We have the European grapevine. Um, so what we've done and we've taken a very proactive approach to everything and when i say we this whole napa valley and northern california um you know we're we're all being educated first of all educate everybody know how it transfers from one vineyard to another um we know it's um if it gets caught in somebody's vineyard it's just they're not good neighbors you know pests aren't good neighbors they don't they don't see the fence like like we do um so they right. just keep going so if your neighbor has it it's just a matter of time before you're going to have it so you're helping um so pests are always part of our game um here in california as i alluded to earlier we have sun that's very good Sometimes we can, you know, get some heat heat spikes during the growing season that we have to be prepared for. Um, you know, frost isn't unusual in the spring, and in sure. some of the outlying vineyards, we can get them even in the fall. Um, we've seen that. So you just have to be on your toes. I think every winemaker, vineyard manager probably has their, their weather report on their computer uh, as their uh, homepage so they can just <laughs> look at how everything's changing uh, constantly and just being prepared for for weather um styles i mean you know you, you know 20 years ago 25 years ago riesling was probably the largest white variety planted in napa now obviously chardonnay is so that's a a consumer uh thing you have to be aware of to plant your vineyards and farm accordingly sure hey and that and that really is a great way to tell into this next question that you got tweeted from bob mc from Oh, a really far place in the world, Napa Valley, California. <laughs> and he tweets, ask him about the reasons behind selling such a wide range of varietals and types. Oh, that's great that he he um, that he, he knows us. Then you know, it, I think it all boils down to because we have such a friendly tasting room, and it just gives variety here. You know, I don't know if we would do the same if we had to sell everything 
on the open market and compete for shelf space or wineless space, but because we have such a great friendly tasting room, we can do small lots of um, Sangiovese, for example. One, we have sure. a great vineyard of it, and we can do sparkling wines, a couple hundred cases each of sparkling wines. One, because it's the heritage. Uh, I spent 10 years working for Schramsberg and Cutter New Napa making sparkling, so it's it's um, it's a natural for me to bring that and raise that game here. So we can do small lots because people are coming here all the time, and we can offer them different things. So yes, and that's fun. And we have great vineyards, so we can do two different vineyards of one variety if we'd like. Yeah. Hey, Bob MC, thanks for that uh, that question that you tweeted, and uh, and I have to say uh, the sparkling wine companies that you've worked for are. <laughs> Unbelievable. I you know, I was just thinking of Schramsberg. I was like, oh man, that is just I mean, they make some really delicious sparkling wine. And I have to say, I, I haven't really had too many in fact I can't think of I'm trying to think if I've had any guests on that were winemakers who have made, you know, or are known for making sparkling wine. Uh like yourself. In fact I don't think I have been. So you're ca- actually a first but um, but a dedicated one in a sense, and uh, and I have to tell you, Schramsberg is just uh, outstanding, unbelievable. Um, let's see. Up next, uh, next question is from Yang Sing O2 from Beijing, China, and it says, Stu, all my friends here in Beijing, we listen to you every week. You have a great show. A question for Mr. Graf: What new grape varietals excite you? And it says, Thank you. Yeah, I think well, if he's if he's asking for China, their 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 canvas is so large. I think they could do almost anything. You know, when I worked in Portugal, I became a huge Albarino fan, and yeah. uh, I've been back several times. Uh, just last summer, in that northern Portugal, uh, um, Rio region of Spain, where the two countries meet at the Minho River. Um, I can drink that all day. So that's, you know, some prawns or something like that, um, mm, grown peppers and some Albarino all day long. So that's oh, not sure if it's as exciting new as it was 10 years ago, but still for California it's pretty rare, and uh, I order that whenever I go out. I think that's a great, fun wine. That is, absolutely. And I have to tell you, being down here in South uh, Florida, uh, the Albarino is a, a very popular white wine in the sense that, you know, you have a lot of South America that uh, travel down here into the Miami area and South Florida area. So, uh, yeah, so you do find uh, an Albarino um, becoming um, a popular a popular vineyard, a uh, popular varietal, excuse me. Um, from the chat room again, uh, let's see. Kim has a question. It says, Stu, can you ask Todd, what's in the Blanc de Noir? Pinot and Chard? And is, in his opinion, what is the most important characteristic that is gained from the Pinot grape in sparkling wines? That's one question, and she's got another question for you as well. So uh, the Blanc de Noir is uh, white from black, so that that is Pinot Noir. It's all Pinot Noir, and Pinot Noir is is much more uh, body driven, more voluptuous, more rich and full. Where uh, Blanc de Blanc, for example, Chardonnay um, is more structured and elegant and finesse. And so we make two different styles, and the Blanc de Blanc would be more of the the bigger style, uh, rich strawberry fruit, um, and, and something to have with a meal, really, where the Blanc de Blanc is a little more linear, uh, uh, structured, lively, uh, more apple, racy. Right. Okay. And and by the way, she she wants to tell you, Kim wants to tell you from the, the chat room, that she says, also Todd has a nice energy, and he's really making the subject of wine approachable. 
And it says, with your help, Stu, of course. <laughs> so I just wanted to let you know that, yeah, so, so you know, I, I like being able to be interactive with my, you know, with my chat room and the people in there and, you know, tweeting and emailing and giving you all the pulse of what's happening here with the show, second by second, minute by minute, Todd. So just want to let you know that uh, they think you're doing a great job. Oh, good. You know, we're cutting edge 1980 out here, so uh, we'll, keep, we'll keep going. So, okay, so let me see. So I'm going to go back to – I may jump around here with uh, – that was some of the email questions. Uh, let me see. Let me go back to some of the questions I had for you as well. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, I wanted to find out. So um, what exactly is the mission of the Napa Valley Wine Technical Group and the Napa Valley Vineyard Technical Group? Sure. Uh, basically, the same thing: education, uh, communication, networking. It's um, both groups uh, meet on the same basis, monthly meetings, same day of the week. Uh, the VIT group is more bring a sack lunch, listen to a, a, a speaker come in, educate you about a new topic or even a current topic or uh, something that's affecting everybody. Uh, wine tech, same idea. They meet for dinner over a glass of wine, but uh, all your peers sitting in the same room. And again, invite a speaker. It could be a professor from the university. It could be a, a winemaker from another country. It could be a specialist in, a, in in barrels or rootstock or or something else. And they give a talk, and then you sit around and you uh, have a glass of wine, and and you all. Uh, uh, kind of digest that information and and it's a networking thing and it's it's what it's done really is made everybody one big family um so when we do have issues we've all met these people we all we're not we're not we know we're not the only ones with issues so we were able to share we're able we have contacts that we can help solve problems so uh it's really education and networking and communication is what they do and it helps promote it makes us all better it raises you know the whole what's the saying about the rising tide raises all right. boats it's it's very much that uh, scenario. That's great, I have to say. I mean, because it keeps everybody on their toes and keeps everybody honest, as they say. And, uh, you know, um, everyone can learn from everyone. And yeah. the process is to continue to learn. Uh, we're always, um, all these groups, uh, if we're doing experiments here in the winery, it's no fun tasting the experiments by yourself. Yeah. You're usually inviting um, peers over. Right, right. Um, let's see. The other question I was going to ask you about was uh, let me just I'm going to throw this out at you the, again every question that I ask I want you to be aware of this Todd that each show that I have every every uh, guest and all the questions I ask are unique there's no two questions and this is one that I uh, that doesn't uh, you know fall it falls within a car- that uh, same uh, vein so if by some strange law tomorrow you were restricted to only making one wine varietal what would it be? Yeah, uh, Pinot Noir. <laughs> really? Um, and and here's my reason, because um, it's okay. I wouldn't say I'd do it every day, but with your story, one, uh, you know, you harvest it a little early, you got some killer champagnes going. Um, you know, you harvest it a little later, you press it off the skin, you got a killer rosé. Uh, you harvest it, you know, the right and uh, where it's ripe and fleshy and full of flavor, you got a killer Pinot Noir. So one variety, you've made three different wines, and then you can keep going probably from there. But, you know, I'm on a deserted island. i got a bottle of champagne, a glass of rosé, and a glass of burgundy. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> that is a stellar answer. I love that. See, you know, and, you know, 
the funny thing is I've, I've never asked that question before, but I thought about it today, and I said, you know what? I'm going to ask Todd that question. I just want to see what he says, especially since the fact – you know what it was? I was reading through uh, – you know, the past week or so, I was reading through your bio and reading about, of course, you know, kind of getting all the information I could get about Frank Family and, and about yourself. And I thought to myself, wow, this guy has been around the world. He's worked everywhere, still wines, sparkling wines. This would be the right guy to ask that question for, and you know, and, and I definitely feel good I asked it because I think I got an incredible answer. Yeah. Um, that is a cool. That's a really cool answer. And plus, you know, the funny thing is that you could make it if you needed to. Yeah, like yeah. You say you, you, it's not like you know another winemaker would say, "Well, uh, I guess Cab because I love Cab." You know, right. uh, I would love to have champagne, but I don't know how to make champagne. You know. <laughs> Yeah, give a few so, of us a Swiss Army knife. We'll get something made, yeah. Exactly. We, I've got like the MacGyver of winemaking over here. Um, so let's see what else we've got. Uh, yeah, you know what I was going to ask? Tell me some of the, the, the delicious trials and tribulations of making sparkling wine versus still. That's a, that's an interesting, you know. It is. Uh, it's it's well. much more detail-oriented. It's, it's a little more linear and focused because you don't have the – I hate to say you don't, but it seems it's a little more narrow. You don't have that breadth of Sauvignon Blanc to Chardonnay to Cabernet to dessert wine. The sparkling wine is a little fine, more fine-tuned tunnel, but it's very detail-oriented. You um, you make a wine that really doesn't have show all its character. It's it's like bottling up an infant and then releasing it as an adult and hoping you did everything right as an infant that it become a great adult with still wines. You know, you grow with them a little bit. You have them in a barrel for a year or two years, and, and you kind of know when you set them out to the world that that's the way they're going to be. Uh, sparkling wine, you've got to do everything in a short amount of time. And then if you make a mistake, you're putting it in a bottle to age for three or four years. That mistake's only going to get bigger with time, not smaller. So you really have to be on your top of your game and really focused when you're putting the right. blends together. And and, they're, and it's very delicate. It's um, I mean, just a extreme opposite you know cabernet big bold fruity um you know you can have balance in it too but you're looking for concentrated sparkling wines it's all about delicacy elegance and 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 subtleties so it's it's much more detail oriented right yeah absolutely uh and you know like you were saying um you have to be like on top of your game uh to, to do that um here's here's a question i have for you uh tell me Tell my listeners a little bit about the Frank family, and, you know, and in specific, Rich Frank. I mean, because he doesn't typically typically come from a wine background. Um, so, you know, enlighten them a little bit about, you know, what he what he does. Yeah, typically. Rich and, been, yeah, sorry, Rich and his family, great family. They're they're all down in the Los Angeles area, uh, Beverly Hills area. Um, he comes from an entertainment background now, but he grew up in New York, went to school in uh, Illinois at the University of Illinois, um, and ended up uh, running television studios, coming out to Los right. Angeles and and running television studios and. Uh, because of that, as he was uh, one of the executives for Disney, he was over in Europe, either selling their movies, opening up uh, Disney in, in France, uh, very involved. And he started tasting wines of these great European wines, and and his host, their his host would give them a great bottle. So he'd he'd be drinking nice wines, and when it came time for him to think about buying a second home, 
he uh, he chose Napa Valley because uh, the wine and food connection was just getting going, and uh, and it was an easy weekend. He could he could leave uh, his office Friday night and be back Monday morning without feeling like he had to travel around the world. So he was so he bought a home up here, and uh, as I think he he would even say. Um, just happened to have 20 acres of vines in the side yard. And uh, next thing you know, people were knocking on his door to want to buy the grapes, and uh, he was selling them for a while, and he said, heck, why don't I do this a little bit? And uh, he formed a partnership with Kerner Rombauer from Rombauer Vineyards, who sure. was well-established here. And Kerner actually uh, found the winery and said, hey, Rich, you want to be partners in a winery? Um, and I think Rich pretty much said, uh, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but... Heck, I got a day job I got to do. I don't, I don't have time for that. And uh, right. Kerner kept talking to him, and Rich said, "Well, offer him half of what they're asking for. Hopefully, everybody would go away and go back to their day job." And next morning, Rich owned a winery. So, um, and then the, that's the way things started. And uh, Kerner was the the on-site uh, general manager, uh, general partner for several right. years, and then recently, uh, a few years back, uh, Rich is. Uh, uh, I don't think he's slowed down down in the in the entertainment industry, but he he has uh, put more focus in the winery and is up here quite a bit. And uh, he's running the show now, and and uh, Kerner uh, Kerner's running his winery, and Rich is running right. his winery. So uh, it's working out it's working out great. He's a big fan of wine. He's very passionate about his brand, his Frank family brand, uh, his properties. So and he's a he's a great guy to work. He's very forward thinking and uh, he's done a lot of big things. So uh, he gives us a lot of freedom. So now I, I want I want to break out for my listeners uh, from you the differences of the wines that are produced at Winston Hill versus Lewis Vineyard versus S and J Vineyard. Give me the breakdown here so people understand what each one produces and uh, and what they're all about. Sure. Well, we'll start. Yes, uh, head nor- from north to south. Well, um, uh, Winston Hill is Rich's uh, home estate where uh, our Cabernet is planted. It's in the heart of Rutherford. It's a rocky hill sloped, um, named after their dog, Winston, a long time ago. Um, and it's great. It's just this rocky, terraced vineyard. And that's where our Winston Hill uh, proprietary red comes from. It's a blend of Cabernet, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Petit Verdot. Uh, we grow that all there, and that's our flagship. That's what we think we do the best. And then mm-hmm. off the same property, we do a Rutherford Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon, um, which, again, it's uh, Cabernet-driven, more Cabernet-centric versus a blend, um, but off the same property. Uh, and I'd love to take credit for those wines, but that property just makes the best, grows the best grapes, and I just keep keep out of the way and let it get in the bottle by itself. It, it makes <laughs> great wine. Um, and then the SJ is our another Cabernet vineyard, which we planted a little Petit Syrah for our Zinfandel up there also. And that's east of the town of Napa, up in the hills, going up towards Lake Berryessa, if any of your um, guests uh, or any of your listeners know uh, the Napa Valley. And then uh, Lewis is in Carneros, which is the southern end, which is, I guess, our uh, Chardonnay Pinot Noir. Noir region for Napa Valley, um, right? Chardonnay, Pinot Noir is grown in that region. We have 80 acres there, and that's where those two wines come from. So it's a great, great mix of vineyards. We we chose to have vineyards 
where we think the variety does best versus just all around the winery. So the winery is north of the valley, but we we think we have the best vineyards for the certain variety in that region. And then for Zinfandel, which we make quite a bit of nowadays, uh, it's the only one we make where we don't own a vineyard. Um, we have long-term contracts, and our reserve comes from a couple 50-year-old vineyards uh, in Calistoga. So that's kind of the overall gist of what our vineyards are about. So let me ask you a question. So on that note, um, there are different blends and different types of uh, varietal and blending grapes, ones that you wouldn't necessarily use as a straight grape that you would use or 100% uh, within, uh, you know, within and bottle it. But having said that, are there any like, like some, there are some uh, Napa Valley winemakers that are using like Carignan uh, and Malbec. Are there any like blending grapes that you think to yourself, you know, let's experiment with this. Maybe we'll, you know, make, we'll come out with just this as a, uh, like a straight Malbec or a straight Carignan or a straight Cab Franc or, you know what I mean? Like the Adair does Cab Franc and, you know, are, are there any thoughts to to do something like that, where you just instead of using it as a blending grape, use it as its own? Sure, um, we're doing exactly that uh, with Petit Syrah. Um, you know, there's a few producers here, but also I worked for Carl Domani at Stag's Leap Winery back in the late '80s, where that was Petit was his king there, and um, I planted three acres of it in our vineyard, and mainly to blend in Zinfandel. It adds a great color, a great structure great length to a, a Zinfandel, and so that was the goal, was to plant it as a blender for Zinfandel. And we um, started making it, and we said, ah, here's another variety. We can so this year we'll release a Petit Syrah all by itself. So, oh, that's um, awesome. So again, I, you start doing this thing, and we might have to plant more because we might not have any for the Zinfandel. So we'll have to keep... Uh, <laughs> Keep looking, but yeah. So Petit Syrah is will be our newest variety that that came out of the blend. So I guess out of the trenches into the the limelight. And do you experiment? I mean, I take it that you do, right? Do you experiment with different grapes that you uh, say, we, you know, maybe maybe no, maybe this. Yeah, I, we could do that. Uh, obviously, the Petit Syrah is one that you were talking about. But other ones that you said, hey, you know, this would be a great idea. Let's try this. And then you, after you know, kind of making it, or you were like, uh, you know, it wasn't as good as we expected it. And kind of you know scrap it. Yeah, and, you know I'm not sure if we do with many different varieties. We'll look at different vineyard locations. We do a lot of winemaking experiments on. I mean, let's just take a variety like Cabernet Sauvignon. We know that that variety works. Cab is king, but we may make it ten different ways every vintage and see which one we like better. You know, we'll make it with our normal way or whatever we the house style that we think is best, but. Behind that, we'll give three or four trials of making it a completely different way and see what comes up. And that's where these, uh, the communication, the networking, you know, you're talking all year long with your peers, and what do you do? Oh, you do that? Uh, heck, I'll try that. So we're always doing experimental uh, winemaking. We're looking at different cooperages, which are the barrels, or we're getting them from this country or that country. Is this toast or that toast? We got this yeast or no yeast, and so we're we're looking at everything constantly. And 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 that and that does make a difference. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people might be aware. Some of the you know people that are aware of the process understand the differences that, you know, you can tweak it here with, like you said, uh, the different cooperage, uh, the different amount of toast in the barrel, and so on and so forth. But, you know, that definitely changes uh, the um, character and the dynamics uh, oh, I of like, the winemaking. 
Yeah, I like to look at a winemaking a little bit like making a spaghetti sauce, a tomato base. You need your tomatoes, so you got your grapes, but some might people might want more garlic, some people more basil, you know, some a little chili flakes, and maybe a little bit of everything adds the complexity. And and then heck, sometimes it tastes better the next day, so you age it a little longer. So um, it's it's winemaking is a lot like making spaghetti sauce. That's a great analogy. That really is. Do you mind if I borrow that? No, it's all yours. <laughs> no, really, because it really is a great analogy. I have to make. I my wife and I cook, and uh, and and she's she's half Italian, and she makes some. <laughs> she taught me how to make some some pretty incredible uh, uh, sauce, and <laughs> I think that's uh, it's a great analogy. Um, anyway, also just um, just moving on here. The question that I have that I, this is the one question I ask everybody. So there's you know. I, 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 it's a caveat. I usually every every show, uh, each question is unique, except for this one question that I ask everybody uh, during the show, and that is this: um, Is there one wine that you've had in the past that knocked your socks off, or is there one that you are seeking out that uh, you know that you've wanted to try, haven't tried yet, or you know, that you know you could tell us about? The one that comes to mind, I guess, and it, and it probably, I'm not sure it was the best wine I've ever had, but at the time in my life, um, it was an 85 Chateau Figiac in Saint-Emilion. Um, mm. One, I was there uh, working, didn't speak French, uh, and somehow I still don't know how I got a tour with the owner, um, who <laughs> unfortunately just passed away this last year, in the uh. and I just revisited them this last summer. Um, and somehow he, he found the time to show this 23-year-old kid um, through his winery, and we were tasting out of barrels. And so as much with wine is is the atmosphere. Um, and I think that just told me I was on the right path, that here I am in this world-famous winery, um, communicating somehow with this great gentleman who who I didn't speak French with, um, but we were having this afternoon of tasting out of barrels. Um, and his wines were fantastic. Now, isn't that amazing? The thing about wine is that it's universal, and that you yeah. don't even have to speak someone's language. That and and all of that can happen. And again, I have to think it would be you know a testament to to you and what you've been capable of doing and what you've been capable of asking. What? That does. What is the I'm secret sorry, to making? Sorry, I lost you there for a second. Oh, okay, no problem. Are you hearing me now? Yeah, I got you now. Okay, so I have another tweety question from Dawn Catherine, and she says, "What is the secret to making a great Moscato?" Um, that's good. I've, that's that's one I haven't made, but um, you know, the Muscat variety it's 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 one of the most uh, known varieties around the globe. It's got that great perfumey and and i think that's to me um since i'm kind of would not be an expert at this would be capturing capturing that perfuminess and that liveliness and and some of those are great with a little uh, spritz in them so a little bubbly in those too can be fun when they're young and fresh so liveliness freshness and then uh you know catch that perfuminess Yes, and by the way, she's from Italy. She she was uh, tweeting from Italy, Don Catherine. So well, I'm gonna have, when uh, I go to make one, I'm gonna tweet her back and ask her. There you go. <laughs> and Don Catherine, well, you, you heard that right there from the winemaker himself. 
Um, so now, you know what I was going to ask? Uh, we've got a couple minutes left, literally only a couple minutes left here. So I wanted to ask, are there any um, – you just mentioned about the lobster event that you had. So are there any uh, events that are coming up at the winery that you want to tell everybody about or anything going on at the vineyard? No. Yeah, we just had a wine club lobster feed, which was great lobster boil. Uh, just finished harvest on Friday, had a lobster feed on Saturday, so that was fun. What I would say is just uh, check our website, which is uh, www.frankfamilyvineyards.com, and they're posted regularly if you're ever out in California in the Napa Valley. Um, check to see what we're doing, or even if I'm on the road and we're doing some dinners in some of the cities throughout the United States, we'll usually uh, post those, and uh, and hopefully if, if we're in your town or nearby, you can come out and join us and have a glass of wine and a nice meal. Absolutely. And, you know, you took the words right out of my mouth, because essentially what I was about to say was, remember, to learn more about Todd Graff of Frank Va- Family Vineyards, go to www.frankfamilyvineyards.com, and I highly you check them out if you are in California wine country because they are phenomenal. Well, I, I, I want to say first and foremost, Todd, I want to thank you so much for coming on my show. I really appreciate it. It's been a fantastic hour. Uh, and uh, a lot of great people tweeted in. They emailed uh, from the chat room and everything. It asked some great questions, really intelligent questions. Um, and, uh, and I most definitely want to have you on the show again uh, very, very in the, soon in the near future. So I, I want to thank you again for, for coming on my show. Great, Stu. Uh, appreciated everything. I look forward to seeing you out here. Absolutely, and I will let you know as soon as I am within sniffing distance of your wines that Perfect. I will be. Uh, I will come over and 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 uh, we'll have a glass of wine together. Sounds great to me. Thanks again, Todd. That, have a great evening. All right, you too. Thank you. Take care. Okay. So that was Todd Graff of Frank Family Vineyard. Uh, well, that's the show for tonight. I want to thank everyone who listened in, who emailed, who tweeted, who uh, asked questions from the chat room. Thank you, Kim. That was great. Uh, I want to especially thank, of course, Todd Graff for coming on and telling us all about the great wines for the Frank Family Vineyards. Todd, thank you. As always, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at stewthewineguru.com, or if you're on Twitter, you can tweet me questions anytime to at Stu the Wine Guru, and I'll read them on the air to my guests, for the appropriate guest. You can go to the website, uh, my website, which is www.stewthewineguru.com, and click on the link for all my wine articles, videos, and the great thing is that you can listen to archived wine talk shows. So simply what you would do is, uh, right after this show uh, is recorded and done, uh, within the next 24 hours, you can go onto my website and click on Todd's picture, and you'll be able to listen to the show in its entirety. Uh, that was fantastic. I want to say to everybody, I really thank you for the efforts. I want to thank everybody that's uh, on Twitter, that's tweeting. Uh, I'm getting more questions, more and more questions from everybody. And certainly the emails that are coming in, I'm getting them weekly. I have to tell you, uh, I want to thank everybody that I did not get to your questions. I apologize, but I'll get answers for you. As always, I say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stu the Wine Guru. So drink up, good night, and good wine. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Yeah.